Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. Welcome everyone. I am so excited to be with you. My name is Amanda. I am the Youth and Connections Pastor here at Crosspoint. And I'm just so thankful that you decided to join us this morning here in person and online. Shout out to you guys online. I hope one day you will be able to join us in person. Okay, pop quiz. Who remembers the last time I preached? First Peter 1. Uh, okay, so your staff and the people at the back there are my parents and grandparents, and they always come when I preach, so I hope that they know last time I preached. <laughs> uh, anyone else remember last time I preached? Sure, maybe, kind of, sort of, maybe. Okay, well, there's no like definite answer other than from Derek, which said First Peter. I actually kicked off the series back in January, which is pretty cool, because today I get to finish the series which I think is also pretty cool. Some of you are like, okay. I'm like, no, that's like really cool. Like the book ends. And this wasn't even planned. It was a pure coincidence. Jim asked me about a month ago. He's like, can you preach on March 25th, 26th? I was like, uh, I think so. He's like, cool. I was like, what passage is that? He's like, uh, I think it's the end of First Peter. I was like, oh, I get to do the bookends then. He was like, oh, I guess so. I was like, sick, nice. So my next question, I know you guys weren't ready for this. My next question, what have you learned over this series? Because we've been in it for about three months now, and a lot can happen in three months. I got a haircut. Maybe something exciting happened in your life. Maybe you found a new favorite ice cream flavor, or an ice cream flavor that isn't very good. I discovered that yesterday. Or maybe your life has been the worst it's ever been the last three months. As we've been talking about being foreigners in a broken world, you've really felt that. You have felt pushed out by your friends. Or maybe things at work have become incredibly hostile because of your religious beliefs. Maybe you won't be invited to Easter dinner in a few weeks because you worship the one true living God. What have you learned? What has God taught you? And I just want to give you a few seconds here to sit and reflect on that, get some brain sauteing going, get that brain thinking and moving. I'm just going to give you quick space right here. What has God taught you the last three months? Today, as we close our series in 1 Peter, I do think Peter has done a really, really good job um, concluding his letter to the people. If this was a textbook in school, I would have read the first few paragraphs and the last few paragraphs and would have given me a really good overall idea of what Peter was talking about in his letter. But the point that Peter is driving home here, and I want to explore this morning, is how do we distinguish ourselves as foreigners in this broken world. 
because the in-depth theology, the lamenting, the excitement, and everything else is really, really good. But the how is equally as important. So let's dive into the words and explore how we can distinguish ourselves. Who here this morning brought their Bible? Who here brought their paper Bible? Oh, that was actually more than I was expecting. Um, If you don't have a Bible and you want one, there are blue Bibles at the back at the connecting point, and you can take one home. Or if you have a Bible and you're like, I don't really love the translation, the translations at the back are ESV. Take one. They are free for you to take. They are a gift. It is not stealing. It is a gift. And now you can never say I never gave you anything. So, so if you have your Bibles, we are going to open to 1 Peter chapter 5, starting on verse 5. So we're going to flip towards the back there. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Now, one of the first ways we are going to explore how we can distinguish ourselves in this broken world is by being humble. In these first few verses here, we see there is a need to to be humble, and that this is not only a humility to God and his all-knowingness, but also a need to be humble to those around you. But what is humility? Jim just scratched the surface of this last week, so I encourage you to go back and watch last week's sermon uh, to get a better in-depth understanding. But humility is the absence of pride and arrogance. Humility is all throughout the Old and New Testament, and this isn't anything new to the first readers of this letter in 1 Peter, nor should it be new to us. We know that God will exalt those who are humble and bring low those who are proud. This passage is clearly talking about the horizontal humility, the humility that we should have when interacting with others. And some of you might be quick to point out here in verse 5, submit yourselves to your elders. And yes. But let's give a little bit of context here. And again, Jim gives really, really good context and a deep dive into this. But let's just dive a little bit more. So this humility is not just solely for younger people to submit to older people. This is not an age thing. 
Younger here means the less spiritually mature, the spiritual preschoolers, if you will. And that's not a bad thing, but we should look to those who are spiritually mature for wisdom, discernment, and guidance, because they know what's up. And yes, maybe these people are older in age, but even if they haven't hit that midlife crisis point in their lives, it doesn't mean that we should, should ignore them. When I first started at Crosspoint, I didn't tell anyone my age. And then it became this huge thing in the youth ministry. It was just, it was a lot. Some of the youth tried to like guess at my age. Some of them were like, oh, you're like 18. And then some of them were like, you're like 50, aren't you? And I'm like, hmm, 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 thank you. Thank you for that. But I didn't say anything about my age because I was young. I was 22 when I started here at Crosspoint and the majority of my youth leaders were older than me. And I'm not talking like they were like a few months older than me. I'm talking years older than me. And it was intimidating. But I had to remember that my age didn't determine my spiritual maturity and the life experiences that led me to this point of maturity and wisdom and discernment. Rob saw that potential in me for leadership and took a chance. What I'm saying is that there might be bio biologically young elders, but it doesn't discount their credibility because we all need to be humble under God's mighty hand. When we talk about the horizontal humility, Peter says to clothe yourself. A great example of, of this is when Jesus put on an apron to wash the feet of the disciples. Our immediate thoughts when someone's wearing an apron is, oh yeah, they're, they're serving someone. They're here to serve me. To whatever that means, whatever that context means, but they're here to serve. Jesus distinguished himself by putting on that apron as a symbol of humility. And this isn't the first time Peter mentions humility either. Back in chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This one is also right after Peter talks about husbands and wives, so... Just some thoughts there. The problem with this horizontal humility is that our world says the opposite. We rarely hear songs about humility. If a TV character is humble, they usually get stepped on and walked all over by the protagonist in the TV show. As I was trying to find examples of humble characters, I, you know, just like Googled in the little Google. Um, and one of the articles I stumbled upon was TV characters that shined beyond their supporting roles, indicating that humble characters are just the sidekicks. Another article that I read was the top five humble MCU Marvel Cinematic Universe characters and the five most arrogant, indicating that you can't have one without the other. One of my comfort TV shows, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of the side characters uh, his name's Charles. He is humble, but he gets walked all over by everyone. And one of the most recent episodes I was re-watching, um, he was walked all over by many characters. And that was the entire point of that storyline, was that he was being walked over, but it was fine because there was someone else who was more arrogant, more out there, more proud of themselves to stand up for him. Humility isn't a virtue that the world promotes. Instead, it says the opposite. 
to girl boss your way to the top, to put yourself first and not care what others say. But you know, maybe also do like the occasional photo shoot as you do a little bit of charity so it's like Instagram worthy so that people see that you're still kind of humble. This is what the world says. But I, ha the, I have to say that horizontal humility is all throughout the Bible. Paul has a lot to say about it, and a great verse is in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In a world that is telling you to do the opposite, if you want to distinguish yourself, show others humility. But there isn't just a horizontal humility because some people genuinely might just say, oh, you're just a really good human. There's a vertical humility as well. And this is what verse 6 talks about, the total surrender to Christ. But what is it? Because it's important. It means committing your life to Christ, praying the sinner's prayer, the ABC prayer, whatever you want to call it, but going all in for God, recognizing what he has done for you on the cross and how he loves you. And also when you commit, it's the daily picking up your cross and carrying it to follow Christ, knowing your sin, but also that you aren't defined by it because Jesus has taken it and thrown it as far as the east is from the west. Knowing and understanding that nothing can get in the way of God's love in you. This vertical humility is acknowledging all of this and allowing God to still love you despite your age, your financial status, your job position, or what, what you have done. The total surrender to his will and his timing. And as an example, this is what Jesus did. We have to acknowledge that he had the most comfy job in the world. He was right hand of the Father in heaven. He was just chilling, relaxing, and then recognized that he had to come to earth because us humans were a mess and had messed up. And God the Father wanted a relationship with us that was so personal. So Jesus came to earth with all the sand and the heat and the people out from his comfort to save you and me. Jesus knew he had to have that horizontal humility when he was serving his disciples, but also have that humility to the Father. Here on earth, we can recognize the need for horizontal humility because, you know, we interact with people sometimes up to 40 plus hours a week and we're like, have some humility here. But why the vertical humility? And Peter explains this in verse 7. Because he cares for you. God cares for you. The creator of the universe cares for you. Peter here uses the word cast like fishing, because Peter was a fisherman. That's what he did before following Jesus. But you have to remember, this isn't like rod casting or fly fishing or anything like that. This is casting a net. And when you throw a net, when you're fishing, you have to throw it with confidence. You've, I've seen videos of people doing it. You have to throw it with confidence, because if you don't th toss it with confidence, it's just going to flop and become a tangled mess. And that's what we have to do with our anxieties. We have to cast them onto Jesus. We have to throw them with confidence because if we kind of just like, okay, Jesus, here's, our, here's my anxiety. I feel like he looks at us and goes, hey, let me try again. 
try like actually like casting your anxieties onto me. You'll still take that tangled mess and be like, okay, like let's let's do this again. But it's that regular reminder that you have to throw with confidence onto Christ. We don't have to carry the weight of our anxieties, even if we feel like we have to or we want to. We don't need to. Jesus directly says in Matthew eleven twenty eight that his burden is easy and he won't drag us down or pull us off the boat as we cast our anxieties onto him. When we do cast our anxieties, he cares for us, and he takes them and holds them near. This first way that we can distinguish ourselves in this broken world is to be humble. And when we put the vertical humility with the horizontal humility, it makes a little crack, like a crinkadink. Let's explore verses 8 to 10, that as we distinguish ourselves, we need to be alert. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. As I was writing out my notes and my first observations for this section of scripture, my first thought was the devil is a butt. And maybe this is the youth ministry side of me coming out, but I think there's a lot of validity in that statement, that the devil is a butt. And the problem with that statement is I'm not wrong. I mean, you could also use the word meanie, a bully, doesn't want you to succeed, he's selfish, an imposter, a liar, a fool. And I don't want to give him any credit or the time of day, but it is important to know that he is trying to destroy, distract, and make you distraught in this world. And when we know how to be aware and look at him and go, no, no, sir, not today, we can turn to Jesus for his hope and his grace and his peace. Peter says our enemy is roaring like a lion. And lions only roar when they're looking to attack. They'll often use their roar to scare prey, to freeze them, and then they attack them. And yes, lions do occasionally make noise when they're doing their lion thing, whatever that is. But they don't prowl or roar unless they want to attack. However, some of you might be sitting here thinking, isn't Jesus referred to as a lion? Isn't Galatians or something? And yes, you are correct. Some of you might be thinking of the lion of Judah. That is how Jesus has been described. God has been described. And this is what makes this metaphor of a lion even more interesting. Because lions that are calm are usually quiet. So they're not prov provoked by anything. They're peaceful which makes the contrast between the devil and God even greater. The devil is loud and noisy, whereas God is calm and peaceful. In the book series, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, first of all, if you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to go read it. Um, Indigo right now has a sale where the entire box set is $30, so kind of can recommend. 
But throughout this series, I'm talking the book series, not the movie series. That's an important distinct, distinction there. Book series. We don't talk about the movies. Um, <laughs> but in the book series, um, there is a lion, Aslan, and throughout the series, he is the godlike figure. Aslan rules Narnia above all kings. He is described as a dangerous, not tame lion, but unquestionably good. I'll say that one more time. He is described as a dangerous, not tame lion, but unquestionably good. We cannot put our God into a box. And while using this lion metaphor, we can't tame God, but he is unquestionably good. So if the enemy is making noise before he attacks, is there noise in your life? And as I was practicing this, when I was practicing in my dining room, the kitchen was making noise because my fridge was making noise and everything was just making noise. And I'm not talking about that, the literal noise. I'm talking about the noise that makes you not be able to focus on God. You're trying to be alert because we're called to be alert, but you can't focus because there's noise. I encourage you to figure out where that noise is coming from. And maybe it's not actual noise like your fridge ringing in the background because it's noisy for whatever. I don't know why fridge is noisy, but that's for another time. But maybe it's the physical noise in your life. The life distractions that take you away from God. Distract your time so that you're no longer distinguishable and you're now part of the world. Running from one after-school activity to the next, only attending church on Sunday mornings because... That's the only time you have it for, but also sports kind of happen on Sunday morning, so like that's like kind of iffy. You don't really know if you're going to attend or not. You know, that noise. Your time is like everyone else's. The noise in your life, the distractions have allowed you to no longer be alert. If we are to distinguish ourselves by being alert, and if we are alert, then we're not lazy, which is also what Peter is calling us to in this section here. And this laziness can just creep in. In the summer, I tried really, really hard to plant flowers in my yard. I tried really hard, which you don't understand. Um, but between um, my neglect, um, and I think there's something wrong with the soil, I like genuinely do, uh, between the, my neglect and the soil, um, and some children who will be unnamed coming into my yard and just plucking the half-dying flowers that had no chance to begin with, but now they really have no chance. Um, um, the flowers in my yard struggle. And then there's also some really, really nasty creeping bellflower that just, like, is in my neighbor's yard. And it doesn't care about fences, and it just creeps right in. And you can't really do anything about it. And it destroys the plants that I have paid for to put in the ground, and I have literally prayed over, but they still can't survive between my neglect and children and plucking them, and then this creeping bellflower. It's the biggest pain in the butt to get rid of, too. That's the other thing. You can just like pull on it and pull on it and pull on it, and it just like doesn't come up. And every once in a while, you pull up a like really long root, and there's like satisfaction in it but you know that you've been working at that root for the last like 10 minutes and you're like, maybe I'll just like burn it all. 
Maybe that's what I'll do instead. The problem with this creeping bellflower is that you have to be on top of it. Because if you're not, it just creeps right in. And this summer, I'm going away, and I'm already nervous about it. There's still snow on the ground, but I'm nervous about it. You have to be on top of it, or it creeps in. And this is just like our faith. We need to be on top of it. Reading the word of God, being part of community, serving God, using our gifts and talents. When we start doing one, the rest follow. And if we stop doing one, the rest follow. The reality is, is when we're alert, we can see how God is moving in our world. He's not a lazy God that just the world, he got the world started and then sat back and he's eating popcorn. That's not how he is. He knows about the suffering around the world that Peter is talking about in verse 9. But in verse 10, it reaffirms that he will do what he has set out to do. God has called us for a plan and a purpose, and he won't stop what he's doing. He promises to set right what is wrong, to give guidance, to give courage, and to continue to build on the rock of a firm foundation. By acting on these things, we will distinguish ourselves by being alert to what the devil is trying to do, but also to what God is doing, we will be known as foreigners in this broken world. As we get to the end of 1 Peter, Peter says a little benediction to the people in verse 11. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And him in these verses is Christ. Peter is giving the sole glory to Christ. and We are nothing without him. Throughout the entire book of 1 Peter, we are reminded of this, that God is in control and we need to focus on him. The third area I want to explore as we distinguish ourselves is that we are to stay focused on Christ. And I mean, if all the glory and honor is going to Christ, then we can stay focused on him a little bit easier. And when we're aware of the vertical humility and when we're alert to him and everything that he is doing, it's so much easier to be focused on him. And that's the big idea in these last few verses. Now we have to remember the structure of the New Testament letters. I had mentioned this when I preached back in January, and I don't remind you guys to remember, because like that's a lot, and I'm like constantly in the word. It's my job, and I love that. But the structure of the New Testament letters is very important to remember here. In our context, we usually put the general greeting at the beginning of letters or emails. Hi, Barbara. It's nice to hear from you. So-and-so sends their love, whatever. And then at the end, we go, lots of love, Amanda. But remember, New Testament letters didn't come like this. They were in a scroll, which is why Peter introduced him first. Because if he didn't, they'd have to like do the scrolly thing all the way down to the bottom and go, oh. Oh, it's from Peter. He's a reputable source. Now let's go back and read it. And they'd have to do the, like, the scrolly thing where like, they wind and unwind all the way back to the beginning to read it and then go, okay, now we can listen to it. Whereas when Peter introduces himself at the be beginning, they can go, ah, yes, Peter, one of the disciples. Cool, cool. And then when they get to the end, they go, oh, yes, hello, sir. Thank you for the greeting. So just to give some context to these verses, these last few verses are full of really good things. However, there's a couple things that kind of stand out and make us go, 
wait, what? If we don't give context, we can kind of get lost and confused in it. And so the first thing is this word Babylon. A lot of us will go, wait, what, Babylon? Babylon is symbolic. The word is symbolic of a place of sin or farness from God. Peter probably meant Rome. They didn't really actually want to write out Rome because that's a red flag to be like passing it around Rome and be like, Rome is not good. Anyways. Um, <laughs> and Rome would be equated with Babylon because it's one of the main antagonists throughout the New Testament. Babylon was the place that the Jewish people would know because the Israelites had been exiled there for 70 years in the Old Testament. Some may speculate where Babylon is today. But my encouragement to you is to instead to focus on where Christ is. The other context I want to give is in this first part of verse 14. To greet each other with a kiss of love. This is a cultural thing, and still is a cultural thing in Mediterranean culture. When I lived in Albania, um, the first of all, I stood out like a sore thumb. Um, but also, a lot of older people still greeted each other in a very cultural way, and they would greet me, and that was with three kisses. On this cheek, and then this cheek, and then this cheek. But it was three. Sometimes you're only used to two. So if you didn't lean again for the third cheek, you got it on the lips. And it was a little weird. <laughs> Nowadays, instead of greet each other with a kiss, we could say a hug, or a high five, or a wave, or a fist bump, or some weird secret handshake, whatever floats your goat, man. In the youth ministry, now you guys are all paying attention. In the youth ministry, we ask ourselves the question, is it weird? Any, is it weird? For Peter's audience, this was not weird. In today's audience, this is weird. Do not greet each other with a kiss. That's weird. Greet each other with a wave or a hello. Maybe once you get to know the person, then you know you can greet them with a kiss. But until that point, don't do it. Ask yourself, is it weird? It probably is. Now that we can understand these words and the context behind them, it can be a, now it'll be a little bit easier to read past them and understand what's going on and understand that there's a great sense of solely relying on Christ. And when you stay focused on Christ, there's an unimaginable peace. Peter ends his letter the same way he began it, with peace. But this peace is really only known by those who are in Christ. But Amanda, how do I get in Christ? When I Google Maps, Christ doesn't know where to take me. Fair, fair. Well, the first way to be in Christ is surrender. Recognize that you don't have these things that I've been talking about. You don't understand the humility, the alertness, this peace. Tell God that you need him. You need him to lead you, to be humble, be alert, and to solely focus on him. Once you've sur surrendered to Christ, I'd recommend talking to an elder. And now it doesn't have to be like a legit elder of Crosspoint. It could just be someone who's older in the faith. And they can help you figure things out and help you make sense of the world. 
the next step is probably baptism. And at Crosspoint, would love to talk to you about this public declaration of your faith to tell the world that you have chosen to follow Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It's the daily walk, which is honestly the hardest part. Because the reality of surrendering, it's a daily action. It doesn't stop that one time you prayed the sinner's prayer way back in 1975. It doesn't stop there. It is the daily action of praying and waking up and going, okay, God, today is yours. I can do nothing without you, so would you please do something with me? Because I'm here for you. And as we continue to be alienated in this world for our faith, it is the daily walk that becomes hard. To pick up your cross daily, to surrender your life and everything you're going to do to Christ, that's hard. And I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, trying to be a realistic Rosa. But when you do these things, the peace that you will receive is unimaginable. That daily peace that you will receive when you ask Christ for him to show up in your life, it's unbelievable. It's only matched by Christ. I can't describe the peace without relating it back to Christ because he is the source of it. And this is what Peter is getting at here. When you are solely focused on Christ, you will receive peace like you have never known. And that solely relying on Christ is how we're going to distinguish ourselves. How do you distinguish yourselves in this broken world? My encouragement to you is to be humble, be alert, and to solely focus on Christ. But what might you need to change to get there? And if you look at me and say, nah, man, I'm good, I'm going to remind you of my first point. But what do you need to do to distinguish yourself? I want to give you time to sit and reflect on this. Maybe you just need to reflect on what God has been speaking to you over the last few months. But I want to give you quiet time with Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. In conclusion to First Peter, we're going to reflect. Derek's going to come up and play some background music just so it's not awkwardly quiet and we can all hear everyone's thoughts and breath. But I encourage you to get into a comfy position. Maybe you need to sit up a little bit straighter, open up your hands to receive the word, to receive God. Maybe you need to bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you need to kneel before the cross. Yeah, the cross is still there. There is paper in front of you. It's in the form of prayer requests and connect cards. But if you need to write stuff down so that you can focus your brain, do that. Use the paper in that way. Don't get up and leave. You're planning on being here anyway. Count it as me continuing to speak. I know for some of you, your thoughts are, what about the children? The children are fine. If they were not fine, we would have come got you by now. So you might as well sit and reflect and spend free time with Jesus in his presence soaking. I'm going to give you guys a couple minutes. I'll come up and pray and conclude the message. But just spend some time in his presence soaking.
Father in heaven, thank you for hearing our prayers, hearing our hearts, and knowing just what we need when we need it. Father, may we be humble to you and your will over our lives. May we be alert to the devil's schemes against us, but we may, may we be aware of how you are moving in our lives, in our community, in our city, our country, and the world. I pray that we would be focused on you through it all, no matter what. Father, you know where we are at with you, and may we just be able to draw close to you this morning. Whatever is blocking us from that, Father, would you just reveal it and allow us to give it to you so that you can throw it as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for being an everlasting Father who shows us love and grace and mercy like no one else. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as we conclude this morning, I have one thing I want to remind you of, and that is the Crosspoint kids are ready to welcome you to their bake sale in the gym. So you can head there once you're ready fellowshipping or if you need more time to reflect, do that. But allow these kids to serve you uh, as you select what goodies you would like to either you can eat them here and now, there's some tables set up, or you can take them home and enjoy them. They are accepting cash, debit, and credit because we're of the 21st century. So thank you again for helping them raise money for the sneakers for students. Now let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God, into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.